All right, good evening. We're just a little bit late here uh, getting started, um, so we'll jump right into it. Let me go ahead and mention it. Bottles back there or not. If there are, you can grab one. If there's not, um, you have to. Oh, so there are bottles around. Okay. Go get one from my wife. Just leave it at that. Um, and appreciate y'all uh, supporting the Women's Center and, and the, the ministry that they have there. Our men's breakfast is Saturday, um, so we are going to have one, Adam, if you can come to it. Um, and I, have not, I had not considered this, but we might, if, I haven't mentioned it, so I, I don't know if I should have any expectation, but if we're able to come down here and I don't know what the weather's going to be like Saturday. If it's going to be sock, uh, sopping wet, we won't worry about it. But we need to take this nativity down sometime. Um, just put it on your radar at least. Um, but we will have our men's breakfast regardless. Also, the Creation Museum tri uh, trip in Ark Encounter. Um, I lost my train of thought. I tried to watch <clears throat> the movie Noah the other day. It's been, it's an old movie. Well, I guess it came out eight, ten years ago, maybe. And uh, it's kind of crazy. It does not follow the biblical story quite right. Um, I didn't finish it. But anyway, um, be making plans for that. Um, April will be here sooner than I think, right? And uh, we will have to pay for that in advance. And so we, we want to make sure that everybody's on the list. And I'll be making an announcement about that Sunday as well. Um, and I'll ask Karen to help me make that announcement, okay? Um, let me mention a few prayer requests. And by the way, I apologize for not having a microphone. I'll do my best to project. Hopefully, this one's picking up some of it. Um, but I, I stole the little lapel mic. It's in my wife's car, and we didn't drive it. Um, uh, so I apologize for that. But let me mention a few. Remember the Nathan Ingram family. Um, I don't know how many of you uh, knew Nathan Ingram um, but he passed away uh, this past week, and uh, so keep that family in your prayers. Um, continue to remember Eddie Jarvis. I hadn't heard anything about Scott Green lately. Have you, Miss Carol? Okay. Um, and continue to pray for for our church. Um, Daniel, how's Robert Cross doing? Good deal. Good deal. Well, praise the Lord for that. Um, remember the, the halls. Um, this is uh, Carol Beeman's friends that she mentioned on Sunday. Um, and she asked that we remember her sister, uh, Nan Worrell, who lives out in Rayford. Um, I hadn't checked in on, on Miss Rosa. Uh, has anybody talked to Miss Rosa this week? Okay. Remember Miss remember Rosa. She'd been a little under the weather. In fact, others are as well. Um, Miss Betty wasn't feeling up to snuff this evening as well. Um, remember um, Jennifer McNeil um, oh man I have so many on here and some of them some of them are just notes um, remember Logan Belt though this was the young man that was mentioned uh, he's 24 um, and he is in his last days as I understand it as well um, and, and uh, 
continue to remember the, fa the, the families of those that had lost loved ones. The, in particular, I'm thinking of the Blackman family and the tragedy there with that car accident. Every now and then somebody mentioned that. I heard somebody bring that up again um, and gave some more details on what happened. Um, but anyway, remember the Blackman and Green families. Um, what other prayer requests would you guys like to mention tonight? It is, um, and, and I'll tell you all something, you know, hold it against me. Um, the storm that was coming, in fact, uh, when was it? Was that yesterday? It was yesterday. And uh, I was supposed to go to Charlotte, and the folks that I was supposed to be meeting down there at 7 o'clock, they said, they called early, and they said, don't come. The weather's going to be terrible. We might lose power. And um, this was a makeup date. Um, I, had, I was supposed to go down there last year, and I was like, I'm coming. I'm not going to cancel. I'm not going to let the – and when the storm showed up, I'm going to be honest with you, the weatherman usually exaggerates. I was a little shocked. I was standing out there looking out my front door watching the trees do this, and I just started talking to the Lord. And I was like, God, protect our house, protect our family. And, uh, of course, I prayed for our church. I said, pray for the people that come to Hammer Creek. I said, uh, keep us all safe. But – then this morning when I drove down the road, it occurred to me I hadn't prayed for my neighbors. Did you believe that? Um, but God saw us all through it. Uh, we do need to pray for each other. And when you mention children, I want to say um, once in a while I become aware of how some children are so neglected. And there are some kids that don't have the advantages that we're able to give our children. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about love and attention, things. Uh, you need money to live, but you don't need lots of stuff. But some kids don't even get the proper parenting that they need. And uh, it's, it truly is heartbreaking. And so let's pray for those kids as well. Um, I don't know Carolyn Cross. What's our church? Okay. Um, anyway. Good, good remind, reminder, and we need to pray, not just for little kids, but maybe even more so for youth, young people, teenagers. Uh, they see a lot. They've got to deal with a lot. Uh, what other prayer requests? Okay. I think there's a, a lot of that going on. By the way... <clears throat> I got a call from Raleigh or an email from Raleigh today asking about urban archery in Mount Gilead again. Well, y'all need to take a stand or shoot it through or shoot it out or something. Um, <laughs> town can do what the town wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I saw a hand over here. Did I? Did you say guitar teacher? Yeah. Chandler. Chandler. Yeah, there was. There's so many sick people. Actually, 
this is never a good idea, but I Googled on if this year was worse than normal for people getting sick. And there's all kind, there's some articles out there about it and various theories. Um, I don't know if any, if any of them hold water or not, but it's been an unusual year for sure. Um, and there are some that I'm just going to say are unspoken, so continue to pray for folks in the church. Um, people are going through all sorts of things. Um, any other prayer requests before we go to the Lord in a word of prayer? Okay. I don't know if you wanted me to share that, but I will say this. Say say again. Yeah. Yeah. Pray for the, pray for the girls, Adam and Jennifer. Of uh, well, they love these girls, and uh, they want what's best for them, and uh, want them in the family. And uh, they're they're dealing with a trying situation, and um, the mother's not going to be able to be their mother. That's pretty clear. Um, so the question is, where will they go, and what's best for them? And I think we all want what's best for them. Um, so pray for that situation. Um, and with that, let's go to the Lord. Um, dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, we thank you for the great privilege that we can come to you um, as a body of believers. And Lord, that we can gather up all of our prayers and that we can cast them into the very throne room of heaven. And so, Lord, we uh, first and foremost, we just thank you for your goodness. Uh, we thank you especially for Jesus Christ, that we have a Savior, a perfect Savior. And uh, that the atoning that is provided by his blood is perfect, it is complete, lacking nothing. And God, I just pray that in the hearts of your people, you would build up perfect assurance that we would never doubt what we have in Christ. And Lord, we come to you with uh, the many burdens that have been listed. Um, we have friends and families that have lost loved ones. Uh, some that are going through difficult times, uh, medical procedures or doctor visits. And uh, Lord, we have difficult family situations. And Lord, in all of these things, we just pray that your hand be upon them. We pray, God, that you would uh, be the comfort that we all need, that you would touch and heal uh, where that might be, be your will. We pray that in all of these things that you would draw people to yourself, that you would help us all to trust you more each and every single day. And uh, Lord, we know that uh, this life is temporary and uh, that the world and everything in it is passing away. Um, but God, you're eternal forever. And so are we as your people. And so we just pray, God, that uh, you would do the good work that you have set forth to do in us and help and continue to conform us to the very image of your son, Christ Jesus, that we might walk as he walked, that we might love as he loved and see as he sees. And uh, God, when we uh, live our daily lives, we ask that you'd give us the strength and the courage uh, that all that we say, think, and do might honor and glorify Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> we're going to we're going to finish Jude. Uh, we've been in Jude a while, and uh, today we're going to uh, read 17 uh, through the end. <clears throat> I want to remind you that <clears throat> the doxology, the ending, the last couple verses there, we actually covered them with the first uh, message. But I'm going to bring them back in again. Um, just as a reminder, I think it's a good reminder to the Christian. And so while you turn to the book of Jude, um, I want to well, I want to give you the outline kind of that we covered. And first, before I do that, let me say, remember the theme. We need to continually come back to the overarching theme, which is to, to contend for the faith, to reject false teaching. Do not follow false teachers, but stand, fight, wrestle for what is true. Um, I think sometimes we're so taught to compromise 
that we compromise too much, too often, um, and go too far. Um, so the, the letter started with Christian assurance, and then we saw a strong warning to contend for the faith, and we're reminded that though it is Christ that keeps us, that we have responsibility in this. Then there were Old, Old Testament examples of the justice of Jesus Christ. In particular, that referred to uh, Israel. It referred to uh, the angels that sinned and Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we saw uh, current examples with Old Testament counterparts in verses 8 through 13. Um, and there we dealt with uh, the archangel, uh, archangel Michael contending with Satan over the body of Moses. We also saw the example of walking in the way of Cain, um, being like Balaam, false teachers that had gone in the way of Balaam and perished in Korah's rebellion. And we looked at some of the characteristics of those false teachers. And my favorite of those that's listed is that they were described, or well, they're described in a lot of ways, as a tree that's twice dead and plucked up. In other words, it has no fruit, not good for anything. It's, they're described as waves crashing and foaming out their own shame. In other words, over and over in front of everyone and without care. But they're described, and this is what false teachers truly are, as clouds without water. And, you know, if you live in an agricultural society and you rely on God's blessing of rain and you see the dark clouds, then you expect rain. And the false teacher has the look of somebody that can bring refreshing rains in the form of good doctrine, but they don't do it. They're just empty. And so they don't bring uh, the blessing of true Christian teaching, true apostolic teaching. And then last week we looked at um, some Old Testament prophecies regarding false teaching in 14 through 16. In particular, we talked about um, Enoch. Um, and in fact, we, we kind of took some rabbit trails with that. We talked about the patriarchs and that sort of thing. But today we're going to finish. And so I want to call your attention to verse 17. And we'll just read the rest of the letter here. Um, Jude says, but you... <clears throat> so here he's, he's drawing a dichotomy between the false teachers and the Christians. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. What an ending, right? Um, let's, uh, let's first take a look at, well, just as there were Old Testament prophecies of false teachers, here we see that there are New Testament prophecies warning 
that that same spirit of false teachers is at work in the world today. And in particular, he's drawing our attention to, in verse 17, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've said this, I guess, at least three times in three of these different messages, um, that it's clear these Old Testament groups were expected to know better. Guess what? We're expected to know better. And there's no getting out of it. Um, all the ones mentioned before, the angels that stood in the very presence of God, expected to know better. Israel, when delivered out of uh, Egypt, the Red Sea parted. I mean, can you imagine all the things that they saw God do? The plagues of Egypt, His mighty hand that led them, that He provided them with manna. And guess what? They were expected to know better. And then Sodom and Gomorrah, just a few generations from the flood, expected to know better. And so today we see that that is still true. And when He says, but you, He's saying there's a difference for the Christian. You're not to follow after false teachers. You should know better. They should have known better, and you should certainly know better. By the way, let me say something. We can easily say they got to see God's hand at work, or if I had lived in that time, we have more of God's testimony than they had. So if they should know better, we should know better even more. Um, by the way, we shouldn't be surprised at the warnings of false teaching. Even if there weren't warnings in the New Testament, which there are ample, and I'm going to cover some of them, we should expect it because the Bible tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. And there were false teachers in those days, and there were false teachers in the apostles' days when this was written, and there are false teachers in our day. Guess what? If the Lord doesn't come back and uh, snatch His church up out of the earth and He tarries another thousand years, there will be false teachers in those days as well. Um, and so the fact that there are New Testament warnings, apostolic warnings, means that we should expect it. By the way, expect what? It's one thing to say that there are false teachers. It's another to actually know what you're looking for. All the things that the groups did in the Old Testament are the things that we should look for. So let's go back and let's consider the very first one, Israel. Recall that in, in Israel's situation... They were dissatisfied. They were complainers and that they were murmurers. And the, there were some in that group that led the rest of them astray. They began complaining and they led the others into it. So uh, when you see somebody doing that, in fact, don't let that spirit get on you, if I can put it that way. Have you ever noticed if you hang around somebody that complains and gripes and moans and they're bitter and they have this resentful spirit, you'll get some of that on you. If you're not careful, you'll adopt that same thing. And the Christian, maybe I shouldn't say this, I'm going to say it anyway, sometimes you've got to get away from somebody, and you just have to put some space between you and them. But do not be drawn in. And these false teachers, they drew in the masses. You know, I think about the angels. I told you that they had a leader too. It's Satan. We read in Revelation that he drew with him when he fell from heaven a third part of the stars out of the sky. And so he led all of those other angels into rebellion against God. We said the same thing when we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. The entire society didn't wake up one day and say, hey, let's all do that, which doesn't make any sense, and just be real weird. It started real slow, and it started just like it is today. You have to condone my behavior. You have to approve of it. 
You have to let us do it in public. And then next thing you know, you've got an entire society of people embracing it. Um, Some of the other examples. um, Well, Balaam's heir. That's another example of false teachers. Balaam's false, well, what his, his error was choosing money over God. So in other words, he was, he was a prophet. He, he had the power to get a hold of God and to hear from God. You can go read the story. I hope that we reviewed it enough that you remember this. But if not, you go and you read this, and he could hear from God. He was a priest of the Most High, and yet he forsook Israel for money just so that he could be rich and be paid by the king. Or what about Korah's rebellion? Again, this would be being led astray by prominent voices. Um, I'll remind you that there were some among Israel, they spoke out against Moses, and they said, well, we're part of the priesthood too, we don't need you, we can do this ourselves. And so this was a spirit of rebellion. By the way, let me remind you that Christians are supposed to be submissive. We're supposed to live peaceably with all men so long as it is possible within us. We're supposed to submit to authorities, submit to even the government. He didn't say that Southern Baptist Church, did he? That's what my Bible says. It says we're supposed to be subject. We're supposed to render taxes to whom taxes are due, respect to whom respect is due. And it, it does us well to remember that. I think sometimes political lines get drawn too tightly in the church. Yeah, we're conservative, but we're not the first Baptist church of the Republican Party. We're the, fir- we're the church of Jesus Christ. And that is our first, well, that is our only allegiance, truly. I want to remind you of what Jesus said. And this, again, this has to do with the fact that we are supposed to know and that we shouldn't be surprised. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus answered his uh, disciples when they they said, well, when when are these things going to be? When's the end of the world and all these signs? And he said, see that no one leads you astray. I think the King King James says, let no man deceive you. In other words, you should know better. And Jesus goes on to say there'll be wars and rumors of wars and uh, all sorts of things. And he says, in the end is, not yet. I don't know why people miss the not part of that so often. Um, But we're supposed to know better. He also said, Jesus said this, to watch out for false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, yet inwardly they are ravening wolves. And Jesus gives us one of the best clues of anybody about false teachers, he says, you will know them by their fruit. And so if you really, don't be fooled by listening to somebody for five minutes. Look a little further. Um, I remember several years ago, I couldn't believe this was a thing, um, but there were some groups that, uh, they had started this resurgence of flat earth. Are y'all familiar with this? Now, As I understand it, there was a time when the majority of men thought that the earth was flat. And uh, I guess it was Copernicus that did away with this. Is that right? Nobody knows. Y'all are worse historians than I am. Anyway, eventually we learned that we have a heliocentric system and that the earth is round and that it rotates and revolves. Well, just in the last 10 years, flat earth has had a resurgence. And when I heard that, I was like... I listened to this guy make a case for flat earth, and you know what I thought? Man, everything he says makes sense. 
But you know what I did? I looked into it, and everything he said, well, some of it was right, but his conclusions were wrong. Turns out the earth is still not flat, so you can put that one to rest. But the point is, some people are really good talkers, and they have a great way of presenting stuff. You may even want to believe what they're telling you. And you've got to be careful, because if you fall into that camp, you'll buy snake oil from anybody. And uh, we have to be really careful. We need to, be, we need to have discernment. I believe it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon that said, discernment is not being able to tell right from wrong, but it's being able to tell right from almost right. And if we can get to that point, we really are okay. Um, now, he says the predictions of the apostles. I want to run through these kind of quick. Um, if you want to look these up and go over them in detail, then I encourage you to write down the scripture addresses. Um, but let me just say, I'm going to sum them up by saying, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, he talks about false teachers who devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons or doctrines of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who, and this is what he says, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so he points out that one of the characteristics of false teachers is legalism. Now, we have to be real careful about this because my Bible says that the law is good for them that use it lawfully. But the idea of, well, forbidding marriage, that's not in the Bible. And in fact, uh, when I, I couldn't help but think of the, the Roman Catholics, and I'm sure there's more to this or that it has a broader application, um, but they forbid marriage to the priesthood, for example. Where do they get that? I have no idea. But somehow they think it sets the man apart. In fact, do you know why they say they do that? Because the church is his bride. Does anybody have a problem with that? You should have a problem with that because the church is a bride, but no priest save Jesus Christ himself is the husbandman. That's the only one. And so this idea of forbidding marriage, or it says requiring abstinence from foods, that reminds me of some other groups. You know, the Seventh-day Adventists, for example, they follow an Old Testament Hebrew diet. And they say that they don't eat pork and they're, anything that a Hebrew wouldn't eat. Shellfish, no lobster, no crab, no shrimp. Um, they, would, they would not eat that, at least if they follow the teachings of those groups. That is nothing but works righteousness. And if you think because you didn't eat such and such that that makes you holy, I would say that you have a strange religion, a very strange religion indeed. And so we see that false teachers in 1 Timothy 4 are legalistic. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that if they teach anything that is different from what Jesus Christ taught, then we should immediately identify them as false teachers. I'm going to be honest with you, that's some low-hanging fruit there. That's pretty obvious. If they teach something that contradicts Jesus Christ, they are immediately a false teacher. Here's what it says. It says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. It goes on to uh, slander such a person, rightfully. I'm saying he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. And some people are just like that, aren't they? Just want to stir things up. But if they teach anything that's different from what Jesus taught, they are a false teacher. 
I hope that's fairly obvious. In 1 John chapter 4, and we'll get to this one again uh, as we're going through 1 John on Sunday mornings, we see a difference between false teachers and true teachers, with true teachers being Christ-centered and false teachers being man-centered. Now look, preaching is pointed at men, and preaching is done by men, but it had better be about Jesus. In fact, one of my favorite quotes, you know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was such a great preacher that he basically had no choice but to start a school for preaching, and he didn't even have an advanced degree. He didn't even have a degree in preaching, but nevertheless, he was the, uh, I guess you'd call him the schoolmaster, and in fact, they called him the governor. And uh, when they got a group of preachers trained up, he was one of the people that would sit out there and have them preach and judge. And you know what he said? He said, if you preach a sermon without Christ, then you return to your study and do not come out at all lest you have a sermon to preach about Christ. The whole sum of Christian living is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He is the very pillars of what we do. And he is the pinnacle of all that we are or all that we will ever be. And so in 1 John 4, this is what it says. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that is not. But let me just say this. There are a lot of churches where you can go in there and you can sit down on a Sunday morning and you can hear a sermon and never hear the name of Jesus. That's terrifying. He's not used as an example. He is not an object of worship. He is not the focus of our faith. He's just not mentioned. That's terrifying. An honest preacher ought to have a Christ-centered theology and a Christ-centered message, not a man-centered message. I'm going to dwell on this a little bit more. Some people, most people, were selfish, especially Americans, because we're taught you can be anything when you can grow up, you can do whatever you want, you're unique and you're individual. By the way, you might be unique and individual, but you can't do anything you want. There are limitations put upon you by your creator. There are some things that I cannot do and that I cannot be. It's just the way it is. Now, you don't have to put additional limitations on yourself, but the fact is they exist. But nevertheless, we're so wrapped up in self that I think that many times, even, even Christians, even real Christians, they get to thinking of themselves as too big and God is too small. I can't imagine the difference that it would make in most people's lives if they would realize how small they are and how big God really is. And that's the difference between false teachers and true teachers. We see in Colossians, it says 20. There's definitely not 20 chapters in Colossians. I think this is from, let me read it. If, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why... As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Again, this points to legalism. Uh, works righteousness, works salvation. He provides a quote here. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I should pause here for a minute. 
you know, when I think about, so asceticism, um, this word refers to, well, kind of the way the monks lived. I'm going to be poor. I'm going to take a vow of poverty. I'm only going to eat bread and have water. And uh, In fact, it, it mentions, how was that worded? Um, severity to the body. This has the idea of punishing yourself. And in fact, some of the monks used to do this. They would wear contraptions that literally tortured their body. Or they would take whips and flagellate themselves. And this was somehow supposed to produce holiness. This is twisted. And to do such things, I don't even know how it would ever make you feel closer to God. Um, It ought to make you feel a little bit crazy. And so doing such is, in fact, it is a twisted type of works righteousness, or as it says here, self-made religion. It's, it's no use. It's of no good. Now, in our passage today, I hope that you picked out that it said that these false teachers were worldly. You, to, to not be worldly, you do not have to live a life of asceticism. There is middle ground. In fact, let me say something a little bit controversial I'm well aware that Jesus said that it is easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. But that doesn't mean that no rich man get into heaven. Because you know what Jesus said right after that? He said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's okay to even be rich, but you, you have to not be worldly. Most people that get rich get worldly. In other words... They become marked by the world. They become tainted by the world. They become too consumed. It's not money. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. In fact, I have, uh, I have the privilege of watching people be blessed by the Lord Jesus. And sometimes the people that he blesses the most with wealth are the people that they look at money truly as a tool. It's not something that captures their heart and changes who they are as a person, but rather it's somebody that he can use in his service, and so he just blesses them. And many times there are some of the most generous people that you will ever meet. All right, um, one more. Second Peter chapter 2, we had read over and over that the, about the false teachers that will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, And many will follow their sensuality, and we'll come back to that word in just a minute, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So this implies another way to salvation other than Jesus Christ, because the way of truth is blasphemed. And he also mentions worldliness. He says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. I mentioned coming back to sensuality, and many times we think about those um, that use their position to exploit women, for example, and that certainly could be used that way, and there have been people, it's especially in denominations where the priest is a holy man. Run from the guru, run from the holy man, the one that says that he has the power to stand between you and God. Run from somebody that says that they can stand between you and God, period, because they're lying to you. But this idea of sensuality is broader. Can I just say that it has to do with just following your feelings? This is what your sensuality is, your senses. And we live in a day and age where people are all about their feelings. They serve their feelings. They worship at their feelings. And you'll hear people say it all the time, even in churches. Somebody can bring up a doctrine that's in the Scriptures, 
And they'll say, well, I just feel like God would blah, 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 blah. As soon as they say, I feel, I quit listening. Now, I'm sorry, but if you do this to me next week and you start with uh, getting in the feels, can I give you a piece of advice? Get in the truth. The truth is where it's at. And by the way, if you want to feel good, live in the truth. You know, sometimes you got to feel bad before you can feel good. You have to look in the mirror and get real honest with yourself. All right. Um, so what are their fruits? It says in this uh, passage that we just read that their fruits are division, that they are worldly people, and that they are devoid of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to point something out. They're not empty. If you're devoid of the Spirit of God, there's something else in there. And those are the things that would make someone worldly. Nobody's empty. Everybody's filled with something. In fact, let me go a little further. Everybody worships something. And if you don't worship the true God, you will worship stuff. You will worship self. You will worship women. You will worship ideas. I don't know what it is. There are so many things that people put into their heart, if I can put it that way. But if Christ is not there, something will be there. And these people call, by the way, this idea that they cause division, let's not, let's not miss that. Now look, divisions happen. They happen in marriages. Uh, there's quarrels. There's times of disagreement. They happen between parents and children. Uh, they do happen in churches. But Christians should seek peace, should love peace, should want peace, should want communion, should want good for their brothers and sisters in Christ but you know what these people want? My way. They, I want what I want. I want to serve me. That's terrible. And this is the way of the false teacher. And you ought to be able to see it in him. In fact, uh, <laughs> there's a few false teachers I like to continually throw under the bus. Uh, one of them is Kenneth Copeland. And uh, if you don't look at him and see a wolf in sheep's clothing, his, his sheep's clothing is not even that good anymore. He has been exposed. Um, but... He is worldly if anybody is worldly. Now look, yeah, his suit might cost $5,000. His watch might be $10,000. And what does his airplane cost? It's like a $100 million airplane. It's something crazy. You can go look it up. And you know what he's going to do next week? He's going to ask for more money. And there are poor, destitute people that hardly have two pennies to rub together and he's going to beg them for their money so that he can have more crap. It's sickening. Now look, Christians are contrasted against the false teacher. Um, I want to draw your attention here to the second beloved. You see it in 20. At the second beloved in today's passage. We see this um, in Jude's epistle here at least three times. Um, but in verse 20 it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Let me just say here, Christian, all Christians, you are beloved by God. That makes a difference if you really believe it. Now, if you don't believe me, I'll give you an example, and uh, I don't feel guilty about this, but Naomi, she knows that she's special to me. I'm not saying my other kids aren't but she knows it. And you can watch her light up when she's around me. And when I come home from work, you know what she does? Oh, daddy, I missed you. And she knows that I'm going to love on her and I'm going to dote on her. 
If you are God's in Christ Jesus, you should feel that way about your heavenly Father. You have all blessings and you are beloved by the everlasting God. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than that. There's no love that's greater. There's no greater purpose. There's nothing that's more fulfilling. And it'll help every other category, every other aspect of your life if you will just know that God loves you. You can't know that love unless you know it in Christ Jesus. If you really know it, you will act like it. It'll just get all over you. Um, He mentions here the building up, this growing in Christ. He says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. You know, sometimes I think that we want to think of arrival, of I've got there, I've made it. Well, guess what? When it comes to maybe your career, maybe you can make it. Maybe there's a goal that you have and you can get to that goal. But when it comes to your most holy faith, you never get there all the way. Keep growing in Christ. If you live to be 100, and maybe somebody in here will, they say that my generation is going to have more 100-year-olds than any other generation. If you make it to 100, seek after Christ with all your heart. Grow in Christ. Grow in humility. Grow in all of the spiritual disciplines. Um, I'm going to tell you all something. I, I may have shared this before, but I remember being shocked because I think many times we, as, as younger people, we look at old people that are just so patient, they're so kind, they're so uh, tolerant of all sorts of things, and they just seem like the perfect saints. And I remember, I love to ask folks about their salvation. And I remember when I asked Miss Mary Sue Dunn, many of you remember Miss Mary Sue, and I asked her... Uh, it wasn't too long before she died. It was within a year of, of, of her passing. And I asked her about when she got saved. And uh, I think she was 14 years old. And uh, I think she got saved in a Presbyterian church down in Ellerby somewhere. And she told me about that just briefly. And then she said, but I have failed the Lord many times. And I thought, what a dose of honesty. Because you don't look at Mary Sue and see a sinner. I can tell you that. You see somebody that loved the Lord Jesus with her whole heart. But the more you love him, the more you realize who you are. And you realize your need and what great things he's done for you. I believe that Miss Mary Sue grew in that most holy faith all the way up until her very last days. It says that we are to be those that are praying in the Holy Spirit. Um, This is also in verse 22. uh, Building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit. This is one of the characteristics of the Christian. In fact, look at the very next words. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You know why it says that? Because it's not our nature. You can act like it is if you want to, and you're doing that self thing if you do. Our nature is captured in one of those old hymns that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's our nature. And... Jude is saying, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you do it? Soak him up. Read your Bible every day if you can. You can read it every day. You don't, but you can. Read a little bit every day. Pray in the Holy Spirit every single day. It also says that we are um, to keep ourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads... or. I don't know what I said. I outran my mouth. I don't know if y'all ever did. Let me try again. Waiting 
for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Let me just specify what he's really driving at here. In the worlds of legalism and good works and works righteousness, you trust in Christ and Christ alone. His mercy, what he did for us at Calvary, is the only thing that leads to eternal life. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be moral. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be kind. It doesn't mean you shouldn't love your neighbor. But you don't do those things for eternal life. You do them from eternal life. Now, this last point that I want to say here is that we have evangelical responsibilities. We are evangelicals. Uh, Baptists wear this with pride, which means that we have some responsibility in sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we read this here, he says in verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. You know what that means? Don't give up. Have mercy on the ones that doubt. Now look, at one time that was, that was me, but I had a grandmother that prayed for me every single day. And she'd tell me about it sometimes. I couldn't sleep last night, Rupert. I woke up at 3 a.m., but you know, I always pray for you when I do that. Have mercy on those that doubt. And then it says, listen, I like this one too. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by flesh. There's truth undergirding this. You know, the, the message of salvation, it can have both of those. Mercy. It can have uh, mercy on those who doubt and mercy with fear. But s- saving those by snatching them out of the fire with fear. The idea in the message of salvation, it has both the love of God drawing the sinner. And it has the terror of hell scaring the sinner. And they work together. Now, I know that we live in a day and age where we say, oh, don't let the preacher preach about hell and damnation. Uh, We don't want to scare people into making a profession of faith. If it's a good, honest profession, yes, we do. And I'm going to tell you, when when I came to call out on Christ, yes, at the same time I was feeling his love draw me, but I was terrified of the judgment that I knew that I was due. And we ought to continue to uphold that. And you can tell people that, person in the pew, you can tell somebody. I told somebody just the other day, right here in Mount Gilead, they said, oh, so-and-so, they, I'm just going to paraphrase, they live a very ungodly lifestyle. And this is what they said after that. And you've heard people say stuff like this, but they don't flaunt it. And so that doesn't bother me. And I'm sitting there, I'm the preacher, right? I said, well... I'm sure they know what the Bible says. If not, they need to be reminded because it says that the unrighteous shall not enter the kingdom of God. And guess what? People need to be reminded. That man that told me that needed to be reminded of that, and he started backpedaling after that. You know how people do. Um, Stand in the truth. You know what it says here? Hating even the garment that is stained by flesh. A characteristic of Christians is that we hate sin. I can tell you which sin we hate the most. And you ought to hate yours the most. But we ought to stand in the truth. We don't ever condone sin. We don't ever say that one's okay. And then lastly, the doxology. Do you know what it says? Trust in Christ. And trust in Christ alone. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before 
all time, and now and forever. Amen. You know what? In fact, I mentioned read your Bible every day. If you're too lazy to read your Bible tomorrow, open it up and read the last two verses of Jude and just dwell on that and soak that in. That's some really good stuff there. <clears throat> Trusting in Christ and Christ alone. As Spurgeon said, preach Jesus or nothing at all. He's the only hope that we've got. He is the sure foundation of all that we are, and he is the substance of, of the promise that we have of eternity with our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for these words, for the encouragement, um, not just to run from false teaching, but Lord, to seek after Christ-centered, gospel-centered teaching. Lord, I pray that for each of us here that you would uh, give us wisdom to know the truth that when, we, when we hear it, that you'd help us to love our neighbor in a way that's pleasing to you, but to always stand in the truth, trusting in you, knowing that your message is perfect, that we don't have to add to it or take away from it. And uh, God, we do ask that for this church that you would protect us. Uh, Lord, we know that we're kept uh, by you and for you. And so we just pray that from this church, from our very lives, that you would get glory unto yourself. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.